He's seated. I'm sorry. You can all have a seat. <clears throat> so today's message, as I thought long and hard about it, the title of today's message is, as you can see, God is worth waiting for. God is worth waiting for. And what do I mean by that? Hopefully this works. In his book, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer was a famous author, pastor um, in the early 50s and 60s, I believe. A.W. Tozer makes the following observation. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. I'm going to repeat that. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. To put it another way, God cannot do much with people who have not passed through a time of suffering, sickness, sacrifice, or struggle. How can we be a blessing to others who are going through hardships of life if we ourselves somehow have been exempted from such hardships, right? How can we, be, how, how can we expect to be a blessing to others if we ourselves have not gone through these same situations? So when we have been through these things ourselves, two things can happen. The first is that we have a better testimony about what God has done in our lives, okay? We have a better testimony of what God has done in our lives. Second, and I think of more importance, is we can be a real comfort and encouragement to others who now are passing through what we have already faced. If you quickly open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 3 to 4, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So in the same way God comforts us with his comfort, we can then in turn comfort those that are going through trials and tribulations. We can tell them about a God who can sustain them and preserve them through whatever circumstance life throws at us. Now let's be honest. Most of us prefer an approach to, to life and to faith in general that will keep us from dealing with suffering and struggle, right? I mean, I, I, we have to be honest, right? How many of us actually would like to sign up to struggle and, and suffer through life? I don't think any of us would want to sign up for that, right? In fact, many believers are under the mistaken assumption that the whole point of establishing a relationship with God is so that they can be kept from suffering. And we all know, I know the pastor has said it many times, and my other fellow deacons have said it, many times, and we all know as believers here, right, that when we, be, when we come to Christ, when we accept Christ, that's when the work begins, right? That's when it really gets real, okay? They want to live a life that allows them to always have a smile on their face, or live a lifestyle that protects them from the things and situations 
that can result in tears, sorrows, or even setbacks. The truth is, <clears throat> there are times in our relationship with God when suffering not only occurs, but may be directed our way by God, who seeks to chasten us and correct us and discipline us for our sins that we have committed. This suffering does not mean God has cut us off or thrown us off to the side. It doesn't mean that. But it means that from time to time, God may be doing something to us in order to get more from us. If you could turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. And we're going to read from verses 5 to 11. Hebrews 12, 5 to 11 says, says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. Right, kids? I know you hate it when we discipline you, right? But I didn't write this. It's in the word of God, right? All right? Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Ivan with his four kids there, right? Yes, amen. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed, for, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, right? We don't want to be disciplined. It hurts. It stinks, right? But nevertheless, afterward, look at the promise here. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So here we see that the author, A.W. Tozer, is probably right when he says that God cannot bless us until he hurts us. Now that is the way that we should look at this passage that, that um, John just finished reading for us. Thank you again, John. From Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. God had hurt the nation of Judah, not as an end in itself, but in order to chastise the people and perfect them for a better future service. The suffering that Israel had to endure was unthinkable. <clears throat> the chosen people had been exiled from their promised land. Their king had been captured and carried away in chains. The temple of Solomon lay in ruins. The Levitical priesthood had been scattered. And the system of animal and grain sacrifices that were the heart of their religious life had not ended. It was this endless ritual of animal and grain sacrifices, and it reaped nothing. They were back at the same point. But as Psalm 137, verse 1 states so poignantly, all the people, all they could do was hang their hearts on the willows by the river of Babylon and remember Zion. 
Now that's sad, right? That's all they could do. Going through all the trials and tribulations that they were going through at that moment, they weren't even in their own land. And all they could do was sit by a riverside and just weep. Weep for their, country, weep for their nation. Weep for their people. Everything that had, be, had become an impediment to their relationship with God had been taken away. But now, God was ready to begin a new chapter in his relationship with Israel. Harsh punishment had been imposed and endured. And the nation had been hurt deeply. As Isaiah 40 verses 1 to 2 says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. That her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. These people were ready to return to their land and serve their God. Question. How many of you have, have, have ever heard of the lifestyle theory? The lifestyle theory. Anybody in, well, besides Ivan, anybody in psychology, sociology majors, lifestyle theory? Okay. So the lifestyle theory states that crime is not random, but instead is a function of, of an individual's chosen lifestyle, right? So basically, your choices lead to your outcome, to your future, okay? Those whose lifestyle increases criminal exposure are more likely to become victims of crime, okay? I know many of us, especially the younger ones, I, I know, I, I've heard it. How many times have your parents said, have told you nothing good happens after midnight, right? Nothing good happens after midnight, right? Or don't go in that area, guys. You know, a lot of bad stuff happens, right? Basically, the theory is saying that you can reduce your chance of becoming a victim by taking certain precautions. Now, why do I say this? I want us now to turn to the book of Hosea. Book of Hosea, I'm going to give you a little background. One of my favorite books in the Bible. The book of Hosea, or I should say the prophet, of Hosea, uh, the prophet Hosea, he's the first of the, of the 12 minor prophets. And he's often known as the prophet of doom. <laughs> doom and gloom. I don't know how many of you have read the, the, the book of Hosea. Thank you. All right. All right. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's a very good book. All the books of the Bible are very good books, right? But this is a very good book because it explains the unfaithfulness of Israel with the love of God. It, contra it, it, it shows you that contradiction. Okay? How many of you know what Hosea means? Besides Ivan and Billy. Who knows what the name Hosea means? Hosea. No one? Uh-oh. Hosea means salvation or he saves. Right? How, how appropriate here. God commanded Hosea to marry a very unfaithful woman, Gomer. We have a faithful man, Hosea, marrying an unfaithful woman. Okay? Interesting contradiction there, right? Hosea is often seen as a prophet of doom. But underneath his message of destruction is a promise of restoration. Hosea knew that Gomer would be unfaithful, as God says to him immediately in the opening statements of the 
book. This marriage, marriage was arranged in order to serve to the prophet as a symbol of Israel's unfaithfulness to the Lord. His marriage will dramatize the breakdown in the relationship, relationship between God and his people, Israel. Hosea's family life reflected the adulterous relationship which Israel had built with other gods. Now, similarly, I don't know if many of you remember um, Hosea's children, the names of the children, but they also represent God's estrangement from Israel. Now, the name of his daughter, hopefully I don't mess up the name, but it's Lo Ruhamah. Lo Ruhamah translates, and it's a very sad, I don't want to say sad translation, but it's sad. Her name means not pity. The name literally means not pity. No pity. I don't feel bad for you. Crazy, right? Like to have a name like that, that means no, not pity. But the name was chosen as a sign of displeasure with the people of Israel for following their false gods. We see in Hosea 2.23, thankfully, she's redeemed. She's shown mercy, and her new name is just Ruhamah. But the name of even Hosea's son, Loami, translates as not my people. Okay? So we have he has two kids, not pitied and not my people. And that name was chosen as a sign of the Lord's displeasure with the people of Israel for following those false gods. If you want to read, it's in Hosea chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. But now I want to refer you to Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. Okay? The reason why I bring this up is that Hosea 6, 1 to 2, uh, verses 1 to 2, speak to us about an unrepentant Israel. The verses say, <clears throat> Come and let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. How many of you think that refers to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? No one? Billy one? Sorry to say, Billy, you're wrong. That those two verses actually have nothing to do with Jesus' uh, death or resurrection. It's just an analogy to show us how, the, how quick they wanted or they expected or they hoped for in the healing and restoration from God himself, okay? It has nothing to do with the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. God may hurt us most often in response to sin, but remember that suffering is not pointless. God is working out his plan to make us holy, to set us apart from others, and in order to perfect and purify our lives so that we may be of better service to him and others in the future. As the nation of Israel saw firsthand, <clears throat> there are times in our lives when we allow things to become obstructions or priority in our relationship with God, right? We all have them. Perhaps, and I know I'm guilty of this, perhaps we put off prayer to watch a movie for the hundredth time, right? Perhaps we put off, I don't know, something of more priority to do something that you've done already. Perhaps we prefer the observance of certain rituals instead of the pursuit of justice and righteousness. At times it feels like we are daily walking with the Lord. But then we begin to drift. 
until we realize we're walking away from the God we ought to be serving. And that is when we discover there are consequences for being unfaithful. Young kids, listen, listen up. Not you either. Definitely not you. I've only been in this church about nine years, okay? But I haven't been here a lot longer. Luis was probably practically born here, okay? But I'm especially concerned about the young people because they tend to drift away from God the older they get, okay? Priority setting, right? School, homework, jobs, friends, dating, which you shouldn't be dating, right? Talk about that later. Courting, as my wife likes to say, courting. When people who once walked with God begin to drift, as was the case with Israel, we need to know, and we all need to know, even the adults here, right? There are consequences for your choices. I'm a science guy. I like science. My kids love science. So Larissa, my daughter's over there, not her head. No, I don't like science, Dad. Isaac Newton. Who remembers Isaac Newton? Who remembers the third law of motion? Oh, wow. Everybody's hands shut up and they went back down. Do you know, Brianna? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yeah, that apple hit him on, the, on his head, yes. <clears throat> but who remembers the third, his third law of motion? Oh, yeah. He read my notes. God bless you, Gabriel. God bless you, Gabriel. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Why do I say this? Our sins can be forgiven. But that does not exempt us from the consequences of our conduct and actions. Okay? Remember, every action has a consequence. Your sins can be forgiven, but that does not exempt us from the consequences of our conducts and actions. Now, the good news of Isaiah is that God's love and grace are stronger than his anger and wrath. The sinful nation was allowed to return as the nation of Israel waited for the redemption of the Lord. God tells the nation in Hosea chapter 11, verses 8 to 9, How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zeboim? I'll give you some brownie points here. Who knows where Adma and Zeboim are? I'll give you a hint. Who knew where they were, biblically speaking? Billy. Thank you. There are towns in Sodom and Gomorrah. Thank you, Billy. Checks in the mail. Okay, Billy? There were towns in Sodom and Gomorrah. So we see here God is saying to his people, how can I set you like Adma, Sodom? And how can I set you like Zeboim, Gomorrah? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. And look what he says in verse 9 here. <clears throat> I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come with terror. 
Psalm 130, verses 1 through 5 says, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? God, if God had ten fingers and ten toes, he would need more fingers and toes to count up, count up, count up all our sins and all our iniquities, right? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. And I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I do hope. God was setting the captives free. And he was giving sinners a second chance. Is there anyone here who has ever done anything displeasing to God? All you who did not raise their hand, you're probably doing something displeasing to God right now, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I'm going to put it in this kind of weird analogy. How many of us have spent time in God's divine doghouse? All of us, right? All of us, right? How many of us would like a second chance to make it right? right? Like the commercial says, you, you don't have a second chance to make a first impression? Nope, not with God, right? God is a God of chances, amen? He's a God of chances. We have all fallen short. Now listen up to this, this phrase, because it's a bit lengthy, but I want you to understand it. Do you all know that your sins have been forgiven and that because of that, your relationship with God is stronger now than it was before when he held you accountable for your sins? Do you all know that your relationship now with God is stronger than before when he held you accountable, when he held you responsible for your sins? That is the message of Isaiah 40. Even though God will discipline us for, his, for sins, he will restore us when the season of suffering has ended. He is the God of chances. And he will offer us another opportunity to wipe the slate clean, allowing us a new beginning, just as he offered Israel. As you all know, we are in the season of Advent, right? I hope so. Yes, no. Advent, very good, thank you. And who knows what Advent is? Besides Gabriel. Who knows what Advent is? Nobody? Advent? Advent? Advent means what? Coming, right? Second coming, right? It's a period of time. I remember when I was in the, the Catholic Church, it was, you know, 40 days leading up to Christmas, right? It's a time that we commemorated um, the second coming of, of Jesus. And it should be a joyous and festive time, and it is, right? I mean, I was telling my mother-in-law, Rosalina, this morning, how beautiful the church has been decorated. It's beautiful. It's a festive and joyous time, right? And it helps us lift up, the, lift up our spirits, right? especially with all this stuff that, that we've been going through right, right now, right? Locked up for eight, nine months, whatever it is right now, and all these rules and regulations. Well, that'll be a different message, but yeah. Um, so why am I up here talking about sin and suffering and, and and doom and gloom, right? And rejection and restoration. Well, it has been said that people do not like to hear about these things because it leaves them unhappy and uncomfortable. Well, guess what? The truth often hurts, right? But be encouraged because just like in Isaiah, 
He used trials and tribulations to polish the nation of Israel and make them presentable for service. Remember, God did not let Israel return from captivity quickly, right? It took them over 400 years before they were able to return. And the people of Israel had to wait a long time. But during that time, they developed, I hope they developed, two spiritual assets that I want to share with you right now. The first is patience. I know we all have patience here, right? We love, we're very patient people, right? Israel waited over 400 years, and sometimes I say I can't even wait four minutes in line. Right? Patience. Patience is what is on display while God is working out his divine purpose in our lives. Kids, patience is what is on display while God is working out his divine purpose in our lives. We do not lose heart or hope when our deliverance seems long delayed. Because as Romans 8.28 says, we all know that all things work together for our good for those who are called according to his purpose. Sometimes God works on our lives as if we were, or as, they, as if our lives were kind of this modern day construction site, right? Um, the analogy is, how many of us have driven through a, a, a construction zone or gone to a store, a mall, or whatever, and they have the scaffolding up, and they have all these signs, right? Men at work, um, but it also says, pardon our appearance while improvements are underway, right? So God is like that modern-day construction worker in our lives. He's working in our lives to improve, to improve our, our appearance. We don't know how long the work will last, but one day the improvements will be finished, right? another way of saying sanctify, right? It's a process. Sanctification is a process. You don't have it. You don't have it. We all don't have it, right? But we continue to work and strive toward that goal. <clears throat> Every one of us is under construction while God makes improvements in our lives. Just as James Cleveland, James Cleveland was a, a very famous gospel um, singer, uh, lyricist, writer, but just as James Cleveland wrote in the gospel lyrics titled, Please Be Patient With Me. I love that title. Please be patient with me. James Cleveland writes, Please be patient with me. God is not through with me yet. But when God gets through with me, I shall come forth as pure gold. Amen. As Roman 3.23 reminds us, all have sinned. Not some of us, not you, not me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. However, those sins can be forgiven and our relationship with God restored. Now, God may allow some time to pass before we are relieved from the consequences of our sins. He doesn't want to see us suffer, but he wants us to learn a lesson. And un But until that, time uh, until that time passes, all we can do is be patient while God works in our lives. While we remain patient when God is working, we need to show perseverance. Persever we need to show perseverance when things get in our way. 
We need to show perseverance when Satan tries to disrupt the work of God and disrupt the work that he is doing, that God is doing in our lives. Persevering is determination to stay with God regardless of temptations or no matter where others invite us to go. Perseverance is determination to stick to the agenda of God's kingdom even when it seems as if, as if that goal is unattainable. I was, I was just it came to my mind. Um, remember that half marathon we were praying? Ivan, yeah. Perseverance. I wanted to tap out so many times, man. Oh, my goodness. I, 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 could, I couldn't wait to the end, right? But, um, you know, I, I was running with Ivan and Eddie, and um, Ivan just kept telling me, you know, just keep going, keep going, keep going. And that's perseverance, right? Just keep going. There will always be obstacles in our way. But our challenge is to persevere in the face of all resistance and opposition. Nothing worth, you probably have heard this before, but nothing worth having in life comes quickly or easily, right? Nothing comes easily. Everything of value comes at the end of perseverance. As in my running analogy, you cannot win in sports without perseverance and training and competition, right? It's, it's crazy how all these athletes now are cashing on these big contracts, right? But it's a product of their, and you know, enduring, their persevering, their training, their exercise, you know? It's a, it's a, pro, it, it, it's a process, all right? And they're persevering and they're seeing the fruits of their labor. You cannot sustain a long-term marriage for all you people who've been married here a long time without perseverance and determination. Right, Ivan? Amen, right? You cannot succeed in a long-term marriage without perseverance and determination. You cannot succeed for all you people who are at school. In school, as you pursue whatever degree you have in mind, without perseverance. Remember, the devil is busy. Evil has not surrendered. Injustice will occur. But we are to persevere because God is still at work in our lives. So persevere. As the poet James Russell Lowell wrote, though the cause of evil prosper, yet the truth alone is strong. Though her portion be the scaffold and upon the throne the wrong, Yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadows, keeping watch above his own. We all can learn a lesson from this. Persevere in the face of hardship. Until God's kingdom is established, we need to persevere. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 4, that we should rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. Suffering produces perseverance. And boy, did we suffer three hours, right, Ivan? And perseverance produces character and character produces 
Here's another way to talk about perseverance. Press on. Right? Like he says, just do it. Move on. Keep going. Don't look back. Look ahead. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. Psalm 30, verse 5. God is bigger than any problem we may be facing. We may have sinned badly, and God may have disciplined us deeply, but we can still be used greatly. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope if you sin. Don't lose hope if you make a mistake. God can still use us, and he will still use us. Advent reminds the believer to not only celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but to prepare ourselves for his second coming, for his return. One of the roles of Advent is to challenge the believer to persevere in serving God while we patiently wait while God works. Like I mentioned before, Israel had to wait over 400 years, 400 years for God to deliver from Egypt. More importantly, they had to wait approximately 700 years until the promised Messiah appeared. Perseverance and patience are what every believer needs. Every one of us needs patience and perseverance. But one day, our waiting will be done, and the kingdom of God will be established fully and finally on the earth. But until that day, we can proudly echo the words spoken by John in Revelation 22, 20. He who testifies to these things say, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. But even so, come, Lord Jesus. And as they say in good Aramaic, Maranatha. Maranatha. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So who knows? Maybe the delay in Christ's second coming to establish his kingdom might be related to the fact that God is also waiting. He's waiting for us to repent of our sins and to be prepared to welcome Christ when he comes again. So brothers, as I close, brothers and sisters, as I close, it is worth waiting for God. It is worth waiting for God to work in each and every one of our lives as we patiently and perseveringly anticipate the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this waiting should all bring you joy and peace. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, I wanted to end in this special prayer, this special Advent prayer. So if you can all bow your heads, close your eyes, and just recite this prayer in your heart with me. Lord, in a season when every heart should be happy and light, many of us are struggling with the heaviness of life, burdens that steal the joy right out of our life. We need your peace, Jesus. We confess 
that our hearts are too often filled with wonders and wonders of a different kind. Wondering when the bills will be paid, when the terror will stop, when rest will come. Will it ever? Is the message still true? In a world where worry and not peace prevails, stir up that good news in us again. This Advent, dear Lord, make it real in our hearts. Never have we needed your joy and peace more than now. Thank you for the gift of Jesus, our Emmanuel, the Word made flesh. We not only need your peace and joy, we crave it. You've promised rest for the weary, victory for the battle-scarred, peace for the anxious, and acceptance for the brokenhearted. Not just at Advent, but every day of every year. Your name is still called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. We know that peace on earth can only come when hearts find peace with you. You are still our joy. You are still our peace. You are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And we still celebrate you as Lord as we wait for your coming. And it is in Jesus' most wonderful and precious and holy name that